Welcome to the Refined Collective Podcast. I'm your host, Kat Harris. This podcast is designed to hold space for honest conversations. From purity culture to faith, sexuality, relationships, identity, culture, deconstruction, and more. My hope is to look doubt in the face, be curious, seek God, and ask meaningful questions to address any elephant in the room with openness, nuance, and grace. I won't pretend to be an expert and definitely don't have all the answers. And though it may feel easier and more comfortable to exist in the black and white, I invite you to discover God with me in the gray and unexpected spaces. So whoever you are, whatever you do or don't believe, you are welcome here and have a seat at this table. Make sure you're subscribed to the Refined Collective Podcast on iTunes. So each week when a new episode drops, it'll download straight to those devices. And while you're at it, if you feel so inclined, leave us a five-star rating and written review. It would be so helpful to get our message out there. All right, let's go ahead and get to it. Welcome to the Refined Collective Podcast. I am your host, Kat Harris, and a special shout out and thank you to Newsstand Studio at One Rock Center. Thank you for producing and sponsoring this episode of my podcast. You can follow along with Rock Center on Twitter, at Rock Center NYC, or over on the Instagrams, at Rockefeller Center. Next, I want to take a minute and thank my Patreon community. We had quite a few people join last month, and Listen, I am so grateful for the community that we have, and I am grateful that you believe in the vision of the Refined Collective and want to support what we're up to. So I just want to give a specific thank you to Joshua C., Eric P., Kara M., Susanna J., Anna T., Grace W., Kelly E., Kaylee M., Heidi F., Jennifer M., Bitya B., Rachel L., Kristen L., Chelsea D., and Rachel. I honestly feel like I am introducing names like how they do on The Bachelor and Bachelorette (laughs) because I'm saying like their first name with the one letter of their last name. But I also want to protect their privacy and their world. But to you guys, thank you. Thank you for joining the mission. Thank you for joining the vision. Thank you for joining the community. And if you are interested in learning more about what we're up to over on Patreon, go to patreon.com slash the refined collective. A few things we do there on a weekly and monthly basis are we have ad-free and early access to podcast episodes. So if you finish today's episode and are like, oh my gosh, what are we talking about next week? I want to listen to it right now. You can listen to it right now on Patreon without any ads. And also it's a video recording. So you're listening to my audio recording, obviously, but on Patreon, you can also watch a video recording of me recording either in my closet or in New York at One Rock Center. And then also... This year, I started doing a once a month free online group coaching call via Zoom for all my Patreon members. 
The last one I did was on February 15th, and it was just so incredible. And one of the reasons I really love it is because A, we're asking questions within community. So one person has a question about deconstruction or sexuality or faith or their career, and typically another person on that call has that same question. And so I can really unpack that with you in community and also give you answers that are way longer than a 15-second IG story clip. So it's super fun. Go ahead, check out patreon.com slash The Refined Collective to get more info and to join. It's just five bucks a month. And also, again, thank you to all the names that I called. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Y'all are the freaking bomb.com. Now, speaking of coaching, I do Mentor Mondays on Instagram. So if you follow me at The Refined Woman, you know every Monday I do Mentor Monday. You send me in your questions and I answer anywhere between 10 and 15 questions every week. And I love doing it. It seems like you guys like when I do it. And it's also a struggle fest because IG Stories only lets me record 15 seconds at a time. And often you ask me very nuanced and layered questions and it feels like I'm doing your questions and your heart a disservice at times because I want to actually unpack these a lot more. So what we're doing that we've never done on the podcast before that I'm super excited about is we are doing an Ask Cat mentor series on the podcast and you get to submit your questions via audio. So it'll sound like an actual radio show, which I'm really excited. I'm wanting to record a Ask Cat episode in the next week. So if you have a question and you would like to record it and have me answer it on air, go to speakpipe.com slash TRC. That's speakpipe, S-P-E-A-K-P-I-P-E dot com slash TRC, and you can record up to 90 seconds. And once you're done recording, it'll just ask your name for the submission, and then hopefully I'll get to answer your question. Also, why is speakpipe.com sound like such a tongue twister in my mouth? So anyways, I'm super excited about this series. I can't wait to hear your questions. If your partner walked into your life today, would you be ready? Last year, I felt more ready for love than I ever have before. It wasn't until I dated someone I really cared for, only to have it not work out, that I was able to see I still had some deep trauma that if left unhealed was going to keep me from love. I had some work to do. You see, sometimes we date when what we really need to do is find a good therapist. On the flip side, sometimes we don't date because we expect ourselves to be perfect. Fear of failure and rejection keep us paralyzed from putting ourselves out there. Here's the deal. We'll never be 100% ready. At some point, we have to get out there and go scared. But how do we know when we just need to go for it versus when we need to pump the brakes? Well, a few years ago, my friend Stephanie Mae Wilson created a free quiz to help us navigate these exact questions. It's called, Are You Ready to Meet Your Person? The questions, insights, and action steps she shares with you in this quiz transformed my own dating life, and I truly believe they'll do the same for you. You can download it for free at stephaniemaywilson.com slash cat. Again, that's S-T-E-P-H-A-N-I-E 
M-A-Y-Wilson.com slash cat, and that's K-A-T. Now, on to today's episode. I recorded this a few days ago when I was in a really tender place, and I am excited, but also feel nervous for you to listen to it. What I am moving through in today's episode is my story of how and why I kind of accidentally left the church during the pandemic and why I haven't necessarily chosen to go back. I share with you what I have learned and am learning from my separation from the church, why I believe God is really with me in this place, the three main reasons I'm not a part of a church right now, and what church and community is actually looking like for me these days. So I hope you enjoy it. I hope you feel seen and known. And yeah, I'm just grateful that you're here. Let's get on to the episode. What's been on my heart is to talk about the church. And if you were in my Patreon community last fall, I did an episode called why I left the church to find Jesus. And so this is basically another version of that. So if you're not in Patreon, you can listen to that episode and uh, that was Patreon exclusive. But I'm sitting here, it's a Sunday afternoon, and I just had the sweetest morning with these two girls that I do life with here. And we just had such an incredible morning praying with each other, crying with each other, laughing, doing life. It was church. I thought, I want to share with you what's coming up with me around the church and why I did leave the church and why I'm not actively seeking finding a church right now and actually how I I actually accidentally left the church. Like I didn't set out to stop going to church. I became a Christian when I was going into my senior year of high school basically from the time I was 10 years old, so six years before I became a Christian, until about a year and a half ago, I went to church every Sunday. That was when I was 10. I'm 36. So for 25 years, I was involved in a church. And then after I became a Christian, when I was 16, it wasn't just Sundays. I was always doing some sort of leadership, volunteering, whether in youth group, college groups, singles ministry, kids ministry, some sort of ministry, prayer ministry, prayer team, connect team, volunteer team, whatever. I I feel like I was like this like volunteer professional Christian for many, many years. I didn't set out to leave the church. Basically, what happened to me is what I think what probably happened to a lot of people in the pandemic. I was more involved in my church pre-pandemic than I had been probably in the last like 10 years before that. I was a part of Church of the City, New York, which I still love that church. I love Pastor John Tyson. I love the team there. I've, I actually like just honor them so much because I was in such a hard place when I started going there. I had like PTSD symptoms going into church. I was having panic attacks because I was so traumatized by my previous church experiences the pastors at Church of the City were the first pastors and leaders at any church in my 20 plus years of being a Christian that sat me down and were like, hey, like we see you, we love you, we honor you, we honor what you're doing as a job, your photography and the refined woman and your podcast. We know this is your ministry. We want this church, this space, this community to be a place where you can rest and you don't need to volunteer. 
Like, how can we serve you? They literally were like, how can we walk alongside you? I was shocked. And the weird thing is, and I know there was like zero manipulation in it, but because there was no agenda for me to serve, like I just wanted to. I was so on board with the vision and mission of Church of the City, and I still am in so many ways that I actually ended up like being way more involved in Church of the City than I had in any other church in years because I felt so connected. I felt so cared for. I knew my pastors by name and they knew me by name. And I hadn't had that experience in years and years. And I started going to Church of the City right around the time my dad relapsed from off drugs and all of that, which if you've listened to the podcast, you know that that's part of the story. And that happened about three years ago. Gosh, was it three or four years ago now? I honestly can't remember. And I was a shell of a human and had just started going there and Church of the City had a prayer room and they still do. It's different now with the pandemic, but I could hardly work. I could hardly get out of bed. I felt like my life turned from being in the colorful land of Oz to like black and white back at the farm pre-Oz. I was a shell. And for a couple months, all I could do was wake up in the morning and go to the prayer room. And it's like I was all out of hope for my life and for my family's life. But I could sit in that prayer room and I could believe for other people. And I poured my heart out to God in this prayer room five days a week. (laughs) In that prayer room, first of all, I saw leaders and pastors that lived what they preached. Like, this is quickly becoming like a Church of the City TED Talk, and I, I won't stay here forever, but to see John Tyson and Ashley and Pastor Susie preach from the pulpit that this church is going to be built on prayer, but they're actually living it every day. They're the ones in the prayer room. They're the ones contending. They're the ones believing for revival, all this stuff. It was so healing. And as I was believing for other people, they could believe for me and believe for my family and for my dad. And being in that prayer room brought me back to life. And being a part of that church renewed my faith in a way that I never thought possible. I experienced so deeply in that time, in those few years, what Jesus meant on the Sermon in the Mount when Jesus said, I am near to the brokenhearted. Like in those few years when I was walking through that grief and devastation with my family, I felt like Jesus became my oxygen in a way that God had never been before. Like there's that song. It's like, this is the air I breathe. This is the air I breathe. Your holy presence. You know that song? So that song became like the cry of my heart. I was like, God, you are the air I breathe. It was powerful. It was healing. And I actually, right before the pandemic, I was headed with the prayer team at Church of the City, we were going to go to Germany and to this house of prayer that our church is really connected to. And we had to cancel the trip before we went because this thing called COVID was happening. And so the last thing I did with my church before the world shut down is it was the weekend before like March 15th, that week where like everything really shut down in the U.S., we can't go on this trip, but let's do a 24-7 prayer thing for a few days, like out in the woods. And so we all rented this house. And 
prayed for like 24 hours a day for a few days, which I was like, that is so weird and extreme. Like people who do that, like the IHOP stuff, I'm like, y'all are weird. Like that's, yeah, it just felt like fanatic and weird. And it was amazing. Like I loved it. I came back on a high. And then that Monday morning, all my friends were sent home from work. A lot of the city was shutting down. I was in the middle of a book deadline for Sexless in the City, and I wasn't really getting anything done in the city. And I found like, it was like a $50 flight home to Dallas that day, which should have been a red flag right there. But I was like, great, New York's shutting down for a week. My friends are working from home for a week. I'll just go to Dallas for a week and hang out with my family, get some headway on this book, and then come back. Well, we all know what happened. Like that didn't happen. And I ended up being stuck in Dallas at my parents' house for three and a half months before getting back to New York. And what happened is, you know, I, we went from like being in person and being, I was super involved at this church to instantly being online. And I was leading a small group online and it was sucky. Like it really sucked. It was like the time where like everyone's trying to do like Zoom hangouts, Zoom happy hours, Zoom small groups, like Zoom church, Zoom everything. I got burned out real quick. I have a hard enough time paying attention and keeping my concentration going on a Zoom call. And so, man, a couple months into Zoom church, I was like, I just honestly, like, I can't do this. I can't be on a Zoom call like one more time, one more minute of my week. And so I slowly staggered off going to online church and I would still, you know, pray and spend time with God. But I just was like, I just can't do it. Basically, my small group started like three weeks before the pandemic hit. <laughs> and so we were brand new and, you know, small groups, they can be so weird and awkward. Ours had not gelled or bonded at all. The pandemic starts, I'm still leading this small group and everyone has like scattered to the different ends of the U.S. My co-leader quit the group like two weeks into the pandemic. So I have this like awkward ragtag group of people that's not super committed. And so that kind of fizzled out. So I'm already feeling like, oh, this is weird, like, but this won't be lasting too long. Like, and honestly, what the invitation to me felt like was, wow, Kat, maybe you take a month or two, because that's how long I thought the pandemic would last. Maybe you take a month or two and take a break from all these teams you're a part of at church. You just get with Jesus. Catherine, who are you outside of who you are at your church? What's your relationship with God like outside of the commitments you've made to your local church? Who are you without being a small group leader? Who are you without being on prayer team? Who are you without having serving commitments at the Sunday 6 p.m. service? It almost reminded me of the Apostle Paul in Revelation. I think he's talking to the church at Ephesus and he's like, you guys are doing all these things for me, but you've lost sight of your first love. Like come back to your first love, like come back to Jesus. And I felt that in my own spirit for myself. Like I was doing all these things that I really loved and felt so excited about. And I just felt this invitation that I feel like was from God to like, hey, what if you drop those titles for a minute? What if you drop some of those commitments for a minute? And what if you just get with me? Like, are we good? Another thing it made me think of is when you see those couples online, like the influencery couples and their Instagrams are full of these lovey-dovey posts for each other. And like, somehow they have the time and money to always have like beautiful professional photos of them, like kissing each other's cheeks and stuff. 
And then you meet them in person and you're like, oh my gosh, do you guys even like each other? <laughs> like, is this just for your business? Like, are you guys like actually like connected? There's nothing worse than that to me. When you meet a couple in real life who's like super lovey-dovey online and you're like, man, you guys speak sharply to each other. And this makes me feel uncomfortable. Not that I felt that way about my relationship with God, but it just felt like, you know what? Just zoom out a little bit. Who are you without all these other things? And so I felt resistant to that, but I also felt like, well, if there's any time to do that, now is that time because church is basically canceled, you know? Like we can't go in person. And so that's going on for me. And it's also, you know, early on in the pandemic, everything, you know, George Floyd gets killed. We have the Breonna Taylor. We have all these massive injustices and people of color being killed by the police and not being held accountable. I remember sometime between like Breonna Taylor and George Floyd, and I was actually still watching online church at that point. And I remember that first weekend, my pastor, and no one said anything. And I was like, what the heck? <laughs> like, what the heck? Like, oh my gosh, why aren't we talking about this? To their point, they have ended up talking about it. And I had honest conversations with leaders and I was like, you guys, this feels too little too late. Like, it feels like the churches in America that decided to talk about it, like a lot of the white churches, the white evangelical churches, it was like, let's just all do a race course and then everything will be better as a whole. So I'm zooming out. I'm not talking necessarily about my church. I'm just zooming out to my experience of the white American evangelical church during Black Lives Matter. I was shocked, which feels even like white privilege for me to say, because my friends who are Black or people of color weren't shocked by the white church's reaction. They weren't shocked that their pastors on Sundays weren't talking about this. In fact, I had a conversation with one of my girlfriends who is a Black woman in America, and her and her husband go to a very prominent church in New York City with a very well-known white pastor. And the weekend of George Floyd, they were like, we just couldn't go to church because we knew that they weren't going to bring it up. And we knew it would be too painful to sit there through a service and not have this acknowledged. So we just skipped it that weekend. And that broke my heart. The BLM movement gets more and more attention as it should. And then I'm hearing more and more response from Christians online that like can't be involved in BLM because of these like different tenets of, you know, the nonprofit BLM. And so they are like, well, I can't say Black Lives Matter because I don't know if I agree with the organization. And it honestly reminded me of being in Bible school. I remember I would sit front row every single class in Bible college because I was paying for it. And so I was like, you better believe I'm going to get the most out of all of these classes I'm sitting there, I'm raising my hand, I'm asking questions. And and I would get all these like metaphorical condescending pats on the head from all the men in my classes being like, oh, it's so cute. You're a Bible major. You know, you can't be a pastor because you're a woman. And at that time, I believed I couldn't be a pastor because I was a woman. I was, you know, reformed Calvinist at a Baptist college. So I believed that women need to submit to their husbands, all this stuff. So I sadly believed that I couldn't use my voice in a co-ed setting. And it pissed me off because 
all of the guys in my class were in the back of the class, basically picking their noses and arguing over which version of the Bible was the best version to read or the most like godly interpretation. And I remember turning around one day and I said, man, we're in real trouble. If you guys are our future pastors, I was like, you guys are missing the point. All you care about is which translation of the Bible is better. Like there's people out in our community dying. There are people who are suffering from addiction and homelessness and racism. And like we're in this classroom and you guys are fighting over which interpretation of the Bible is best. Like get with it, like grow a pair and start living your life in a way that actually reflects Jesus. But what do I know? I'm just a woman, right? (laughs) So fast forward during all this like BLM stuff, that's how I felt. I'm like, why are we getting caught up in semantics? Yes, all lives matter. (laughs) There are people in our culture who have been consistently oppressed and oppressed largely by white people and often through places of worship. Like we get to publicly repent of that and make movements towards restoration. Like that's on us. And so I just felt so disappointed with the church's response. It's also election year. I feel like after the BLM stuff, like something snapped in me where like I had been quiet about a lot of stuff up until that point. And then I was like, oh, hell no. Like I'm talking about this stuff publicly now. So I did a podcast on why Black Lives Matter to Jesus. I became very vocal about my disdain and distrust for Trump and how concerned I was and am at evangelicals and Christians who believed that Trump was God's prophet, that they had a word from God that like Trump was basically the savior of America, like all these things. I couldn't be quiet anymore about being a woman who loves Jesus and who votes pro-choice. And so I did a podcast series in the fall of the pandemic about, you know, why voting pro-life isn't enough. Like how do we love for someone from womb to tomb and how in my research that I've done for years now, like I actually don't like abortion. (laughs) Like it hurts my heart. And with all the research I've done, the actual best way to decrease abortion rates is through pro-choice policy. And so I started talking about all this stuff publicly. And the more I talked about all this stuff publicly, like the more separate I felt from the quote unquote, like big C church in America and the less safe I felt in the big C church in America, the more separate I felt. And the more I felt like, man, I don't know how I fit into this. And I felt so angry. There's so much injustice. And why aren't we talking about this? Or like, why am... I getting like slain for like talking about things that I feel like Jesus really cares about. We see over and over and over in scripture, Jesus constantly moving towards the hurting, constantly moving towards the oppressed, the vulnerable in our culture. You know, this tiny little decision I had for maybe a few months, I'll take a step back, not go to online church and really just kind of figure me and Jesus out for a minute and make sure we're good. You know, like I was like, I don't hate the church, but the more I had some separation, the more I started seeing, oh my gosh, there's some really unhealthy patterns here. You know, it seemed like week after week, some new big wig evangelical pastor was being exposed for infidelity, you know, from John Gray to Carl Lentz to the insane ring that Ravi Zacharias was living in and his double life. And I just felt like, man, 
it feels like if I really zoom out with the church, what I'm seeing is a blueprint that is very flawed. And yes, I know the church is made up of broken people, like, you know, sinful people serving sinful people. Like, I get that. But it felt like we're doing the same thing over and over and over again, and we're expecting different results. And that's the insanity cycle. And actually what it seemed like with the system of what I saw in the church was that like, it actually seemed like it was existing to protect the people in power and the people in leadership, i.e. one of the most heartbreaking things about when everything was exposed with Carl from Hillsong in New York. And I went to that church and that was devastating news. But when he posted his confession online, like all like thousands of comments, people were like, you're such a good man. Like your best days are yet to come. And we're so proud of you, man. All of this stuff. And all I'm thinking is like, what about his family? What about the women that he's been leading a double life with? Is anyone checking up on them? It was like everyone just wanted to make sure that like the person who fell from quote unquote grace, that he was loved and that he was protected. But what about those vulnerable? Who are the vulnerable in this space? The women that this man was having affairs with, like his family, like... I just feel like, man, this seems like such a clear picture. Like we are the religious. Like we love to feel like we would be the ones with Jesus, like at the cross, like staying faithful to the end. But what I see with myself and what I have started seeing with so much of the church is like, no, we're the Pharisees. (laughs) We're the religious leaders who helped put Jesus to death. Like that's who we are. Like we're the rich, wealthy leaders who don't want our feathers ruffled. We want to feel comfortable. We want to be protected. We want our lives to feel safe. We want to talk about how we care for the poor, but we actually like don't have any homeless people in our churches because that's weird. That's awkward. You know, we want to talk about how we love all people. But if you're gay and you're in a same-sex relationship, uh, you can't come here. Or you definitely can't serve here. You definitely can't volunteer. You definitely don't have a seat at the table. You can come here and have a seat at the table if you're gay and choosing celibacy for the rest of your life. But if you're not, like you're out of the club. Raise your hand if you want kids one day. Or raise your hand if you're curious about having kids one day. Yeah, I'm raising my hand too. But if you're going to make informed decisions when it comes to having kids, you need information first, right? Modern Fertility makes it easy and affordable to test your fertility hormones right at home with a simple finger prick. Mail it in with a prepaid label and get your personalized results within 10 days. You'll get insight into your hormone levels, your ovarian reserve, aka how many eggs you have compared to other women at your age, and other important fertility factors. You can also talk one-on-one with a fertility nurse to review your results and options for next steps. They also have a video explaining how to go through the entire process, and their customer support team was always incredibly helpful at any time I had a question. I actually tested my fertility with Modern Fertility last month, and it was super easy, and I also took them up on their one-on-one consult call with a fertility nurse. It was so helpful to have an expert walk me through my results. Right now, Modern Fertility is offering our listeners $20 off the test when you go to Modern Fertility. 
com slash refined. That means your test will cost $139 instead of the hundreds or even thousands it could cost at a doctor's office. So get $20 off your fertility test when you go to modernfertility.com slash refined. That's modernfertility.com slash refined. No one knows what you're looking for in a doctor better than you. And no one's better at giving you the tools to find the perfect doctor than ZocDoc. The people who created ZocDoc identified the problems with healthcare and said, enough. And now booking a great doctor is surprisingly pain-free. ZocDoc is a free app that shows you doctors who are patient-reviewed, take your insurance, and are available when you need them. You can read up on local doctors, get verified patient reviews, and see what other real humans had to say about their visit. On their site, you can choose a time slot and whether you want to see the doctor in person or do a video visit. And just like that, you're booked with someone in your network who gets you. I use ZocDoc because it has taken the stress out of my doctor visits. Go to ZocDoc.com slash cat and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then start your research for a top-rated doctor today. Many are available within 24 hours. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com slash cat, K-A-T, ZocDoc.com slash cat. I feel like my space from the church happened at such an interesting time in my own life where I feel like there's been so many emotions for all of us in the last few years. And in that, I feel like where I've been is, or where I'm at, or where I've been the past few months or six months or so is, listen, like I miss the church. I miss my community. In fact, I I went to church in New York a couple weeks ago at Church of the City And, you know, I cry when I'm there. I'm like, I miss this. I miss these people. And yet, if I'm being real, if I still live there, like, I don't know if I would be going there. And I'm in Austin for most of the time because where I live and I'm, you know, I am back and forth between New York and Austin, but I'm primarily here. And I've been to a couple churches and it just feels like everywhere I've gone so far has been like, this copy paste repeat of, you know, church merchandise and growing an Instagram following and pastors up on stage with like really skinny jeans and like overpriced sneakers. And I'm like, when did church become about this? Like, I don't, I don't understand. And I think that with my separation from the church, from my pause, I realized that there were things that I was kind of willing to overlook that I'm not willing to overlook anymore. For example, what privilege I've had to not really have to look deeply into my churches of like, why are most of the churches that I've ever gone to primarily all white people with like a smattering of diversity, but primarily white people. All the churches I've really ever gone to has been mostly all white people. And I'll never forget during the pandemic, I was like, oh my gosh, like, ah, I can't just like go to a white church. This is so problematic. And then Austin Channing Brown, who wrote, I'm Still Here, Black Dignity in a World Made for Whiteness, which is such an incredible book. I remember her saying on Instagram, she's like, all you white people, like, please like don't come to the black churches. Please, like this is the one place that we have that's ours. Like just because you're feeling this awakening and your white guilt, like don't come to our churches. I took that to heart and I 
that made a lot of sense to me, but it's kind of been like, I don't know where to go because I feel like diversity feels important to me. And yet, like, I also don't want to like have my presence be like a hurtful, painful thing for people who have been really hurt and oppressed by the church and by our country and by our government. And so I feel like that's really changed for me. And I'm also sorry. Like, I'm just so sorry that I didn't want to or need to look at that because I benefited from being a part of a white church. It wasn't hurting me. I never walked into a room and was felt the pain and sting of being the only person with my skin color in that room. Or imagine being like the only person with your skin color and then you're chosen to do announcements. <laughs> and you're like, are you choosing me because like I'm good at this or I'm good at leading worship? Or is it because this is like your cheap attempt at diversity? Well, what's this really about, you know? And so I feel like that has shifted for me. I'm just trying to figure out like, how does that work? And pre-pandemic, what had become a deal breaker for me was women in leadership. I, for years, went to churches where like women couldn't preach. And years ago, when I started going to Hillsong, that was one of the reasons why I started going there. I can no longer go to a church where women don't have a seat at the table And that was like my first step into like egalitarianism where I'm like, oh yeah, like I believe men and women are created equally, equal value and can have equal roles. Whereas like the complementarian view was like men and women are equal but different. And I always believed that, like I understood that until a couple of years ago, someone said, now swap out men and women with like black people and white people. White people and black people are equal, but they're different. If you have to say we're equal but different, like, you're not equal. And so for a long time, being a part of a church where women have a seat at the table and can preach on Sundays and can preach in mixed companies, that's been a a huge deal breaker for me as a means of, like, being a part of a church. Like, I want to be a part of a church that, like, women have equal opportunity, equal opportunity employers. And then finally, the big thing, and I know you guys— I know this because I've been talking about this. I've been talking about LGBTQ plus issues in the last year or so. You know, I'll do like a longer series on this, but for my entire Christian faith until the last few years, I did believe that being gay was a sin. I just believed that. It. It, it's what I was told. It's what I was taught. And it was always taught as this like kind of like heartbreaking but very clear truth in scripture. It's something that didn't ever make me feel uncomfortable until I graduated college and moved to California, met a lot of people who identify as LGBTQ+. And over the last 10 years, I've counted, I've had 12 friends come out who like love Jesus, Christians, like some of the most faithful like prayer warrior people I know, all but two of them walked away from the faith completely because it was like, you either choose God or you choose your sexuality is how it was framed to them and to me. And I can't imagine the trauma that these friends have felt. One of my friends even had to literally flee the country and still lives in another country because he is not accepted by his family or his community for coming out. And so it always felt like this thing, this is like a really hard pill to swallow about Christianity Scripture seems clear to me, but I had actually never even done all the work. (laughs) Like I had just kind of believed what my pastor said. And then the more and more of my friends that were coming out and 
non-Christian friends who were gay or queer or lesbian or bi or non-binary. I just felt like the more and more I got to know them and see Jesus in them. Jesus says, like, we'll know Jesus, we'll know God's heart through the fruits. And it seems like the fruit of me believing that being gay is wrong and a sin, like, the fruit is bad. Gay people aren't safe in the church. And there's a massive agenda or, like, we are homophobic in the church. So more and more so over the last, my gosh, it's been years now, it was like this secret in me that I was like, oh my gosh, I still like think this is a sin because this is, I think what the Bible says, but like, I hope no one ever asks me about it, which is why I didn't talk about it for a very long time. And then really like relationships like change a lot of things, but it really wasn't until I was neck deep in research for my book, Sexless in the City, where I was realizing how much my virginity was enmeshed with my salvation and how even though I never would have said it with my lips that I thought you had to be a virgin to have a seat at Jesus's table or a quote-unquote born-again virgin, like you have to be saving yourself for marriage. That is like what it means to be a Christian. I realized, oh my gosh, I am worshiping virginity. I have taken the gospel of Jesus which is Jesus alone, grace alone, solos Christos, and I have added something to it. I've said Jesus plus virginity equals salvation. And one of the most profound stories in scripture to me is when Jesus is on the cross and he is surrounded by two thieves. And I know through research that first century Roman culture The only people who could be executed via crucifixion were slaves or foreigners. So even if a Roman citizen did something terrible, they never would have received punishment by crucifixion. It was only for slaves. In Roman culture, slaves were viewed as objects, one-dimensional like stick figures, less than human. So already the God image in slaves is stripped away from them. And then they're on the cultural fringes. They have very little rights. And so you could only be crucified if you were a foreigner or a slave. And then you had to have done something really, really bad, like murder or try to overthrow the government or something. So these two men that were surrounding Jesus on the crosses, we know via the different gospels that, you know, one of the thieves on the crosses, the other thieves, like, you know, we deserve to be up here. (laughs) Like we did bad stuff. And what he was able to acknowledge, like, yeah, we did something like really worthy of our punishment, but Jesus didn't. As one of the thieves is like hurling insults at Jesus. All the church people are like hurling insults at Jesus while he's on the cross. And the other thief reaches out to Jesus And I was like, Jesus, like, I need you. Help me. And Jesus says, today you will be with me in paradise. And to me, that's the most like stripped down version of the good news of Jesus. Like, here's a man who has nothing to offer Jesus, who like didn't go to baptism class, who didn't lead a small group. We don't know who he was or wasn't attracted to. We don't know what he was or wasn't doing in between his legs. We only know that this guy was viewed as an object culturally. And because of that also, he was probably outside of the religious culture as well. He didn't really have a home in church or culture. 
viewed as an object. He did something worthy of a punishment of death. And Jesus says, today you will be with me in paradise, period, the end. End of story. Like, that's some good news. And yet, it seems like today we have made the gospel about Jesus plus. Jesus plus virginity. Jesus plus, do you identify as gay or straight? It's like those to me seem like the two big things. And what I see in there is a worshiping of sexuality over both of those things. And so I'm researching for my book and I encounter the story of Jesus and I am like, wow, like it is Jesus only. And so I realized for my own story with like, do I want to have sex before marriage or not? And my whole book in the sexless in the city, which you can read all of that. I realized that like, basically I could copy paste the conversation on virginity with like the LGBTQ plus conversation. I realized, oh my gosh, like Jesus doesn't one time during his life or in scripture talk about gay issues. He doesn't. Oh my gosh. Like, what do we do with that? Jesus doesn't once tell people to like not have sex before marriage. It's there in other parts of the New Testament. And so all that to say is that got me really curious while I was doing research for my book on like sexuality and what is sex and what does the Bible really say about sex? It kind of opened this Pandora's box of like, wow, now that I'm realizing like I let my virginity become enmeshed in my salvation, I also see how we've allowed people's sexual identity to become enmeshed in their salvation or like they can only have a seat at the table if they essentially they identify as heterosexual or if they identify as same-sex attracted or whatever you want to call it and choose celibacy like that's the only option it just like isn't what Jesus actually modeled from the cross like Jesus was like today you'll be with me in paradise you reached out to me and I will meet you there There's no if, ands, or buts about it. After my book came out last year, I just started doing way more research on LGBTQ plus issues. I can link some of the resources here, but a few are in the show notes. A few of them are Matthew Vines has an incredible ministry for the LGBTQ plus community. And he has a YouTube where he unpacks the seven verses in scripture that talk about homosexuality. That was very eye-opening for me. And I read Jackie Hill Perry's book, Gay Girl, Good God, which was really actually hard and painful to read. And then I read Julie Rogers' book, A Queer Christian Survival Story. And oh my gosh, like her story like blew me away. And then my friend, Mike Mayashiro, who was a pastor and leader at Bethel, recently came out and we'll link his hour-long coming out testimony in the notes here. But what I learned through all of my research was that, you know what, this thing that I thought was super black and white this whole time is actually not black and white. And you might hear that and be like, oh my gosh, Kat's gone to the dark side. She's disregarding scripture. And I'm like, I'm not. (laughs) I'm just for the first time, like I really looked into the context of those verses. I looked into the reality that the word homosexual wasn't even in the Bible until 1946. That's a true thing. There's a movie coming out called 1946, the movie. And it's all about that. So all that to say, kind of like the third big thing that's like I've been wrestling with as far as what is my relationship with and to the church right now is 
I no longer am willing to be a part of a church that isn't safe for the LGBTQ plus community. What is it to love people without an agenda? You want to volunteer? You want to serve? Like, yeah, come. Not like, well, are you a girl and are you attracted to other girls? Like, you got to (laughs) leave. Or like, you can't be here. You can only be here if you, you know, commit to like never, never going on a date with another woman. It just feels like such an agenda. And I think we do that. We add all these pluses to the salvation. It's like Jesus plus, Jesus plus, 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 because we're trying to control someone's transformation. And we don't really trust the Holy Spirit. We don't really trust that like God is going to work in someone's life or reveal something, you know, or reveal himself to them. So now I'm at the place where I'm like, man, I miss church. I miss my community, but I don't really know where I fit into all of this. And we haven't even approached deconstruction, (laughs) me deconstructing a lot of stuff. And so I find myself in this place where I feel God and I experience God in such beautiful, intimate ways. And I feel like it's been this beautiful thing for me to like not be a part of a church the past year and a half because I feel like I have gotten back to my first love. I'm like, oh my gosh, I see God in my day-to-day life. Like the first thing I do in the morning is I wake up and I sit on my couch and I pray and worship and I spend time with God. And one thing I've started doing, and this is back to why I'm even recording this episode today because I just finished it a few hours ago is, you know, I have like three friends in Austin and they're like a lifeline. And I've wanted to like do like church with them, but I like haven't known how to do it because <laughs> we're all kind of in similar places. Like we all really love Jesus. We love God. We're deconstructing a lot. We're, we're unpacking old beliefs. We're unpacking like, oh, like, do I really believe that about women anymore? Do I really believe that about the gay community anymore? Like, man, it seems like this system of a lot of the American churches like is really hurting a lot of people. And we got to talk about that. And what do we do with that? It was on January 2nd and I was just feeling like, I just like need to like get with God. And so I asked a friend and we just got together and I like blasted worship music and we like prayed and cried out to God and like sang really loud in her house. And it was so powerful and beautiful. And so we started, we've been doing it every week and there's four of us that meet and I woke up this morning and actually all weekend, like I just have felt so lonely. And I feel that for a lot of reasons or for several reasons. One, like it's hard not knowing a lot of people in a new town and where a huge part of my community came from was the church. Not going there, that it's a loss for a lot of reasons, but like not having friends or not knowing how to meet friends in a different way, like that's been a real loss. So I felt lonely for a couple different reasons. Um, I feel lonely because I I don't know a lot of people here and I don't know how to meet them without being involved at a church. And maybe that sounds lazy or like get creative with how you meet people. But I didn't realize how much of my like friendships like came from my church community and not having that is like a real loss. On top of that, you know, I've just felt real lonely in my singleness and uh, I'm definitely going to get emotional. Whoo. But I've just felt like, you know, I've been this relationship coach for like five years now. And it's been something that I feel like God has like really invited me into. And like, I feel like I've done all the right things. I feel like I've put in my 10,000 hours. 
I feel like I'm doing all the things I coach you to do. And it works for so many people. And it just hasn't worked for me yet. And part of me feels like a big fraud because of that. Like, why isn't it working for me? Like, I'm doing everything right. Why isn't this happening for me? And I woke up this morning and I just felt so alone. And I just felt like, God, I just don't know if this is going to happen for me. I don't know what to do with that. God, it seems like your favorite word to me is no. It seems like you love telling me no. And God, thank you for all your protection and your provision and your not yet. But I just feel really forgotten. And I feel left behind. And I feel like never in a million years did I think I was going to be like 36 with like no prospects. I feel like I am like in Pride and Prejudice. And I am like, I have no prospects. And I feel that. And what I do know is that like God can do anything and God loves showing up in the desert. I love the verse in Isaiah that says like, see, behold, I'm doing a new thing. Don't you see it? Like I make streams in the desert. God loves doing the impossible. I've just felt really lonely. And I just was praying this morning like, God, like, are you going to show up for me? And then two of my girlfriends came over this morning because we had church we just were all like, you know, sharing what's been going on, my friend sharing. And then as soon as I start sharing, I just started crying. I was like, I just feel so alone. I feel so sad. I feel so disappointed. I feel like I'm all out of hope. And I know God's good and I know he's close, but it just feels like he's really far. One of my friends was sitting next to me And she just put her hand on my legs. And then my other friend just goes, I feel like I just want to hold you. Can I hold you? And I was like, okay. (laughs) You know, like snot coming down my face. And she just came and we're like on my couch, the three of us. And she just comes behind me and just like puts her arms around me. And I like lean on her chest and she's just like rubbing my head and rubbing my arm. And my other friend has her hand on me and they're just with me. And they're just listening and then they're just seeing me, not trying to fix me, not trying to make it better, not giving me like the one-liners of like, you just need one, you know, but like just really with me in it. And then my other friend is crying because she's also single and she's like, I don't want to make this about me, but I just feel everything you're saying. Like, I feel it. Like, I feel like you're reading my thoughts. And I just felt like this is church. Like, this is holy. This is sacred. And I'm, I miss being in a church service on a Sunday afternoon or a Sunday evening or Sunday morning. But in no church service would I ever be like laying in my friend's lap, crying, snotty-nosed, and being held. It would just wouldn't be that. It would be like, go in, you listen to worship, you sit down, you take notes, and you awkwardly like say hi to people and you leave. And yet my friends are sitting with me and holding me. And then we held my other friend as she shared her stuff. And then we all just laid down on the ground and put our feet up the wall. And I played this Stephanie Gretzinger song called Pieces. It goes, unreserved, unrestrained. Your love is wild. Your love is wild for me. It isn't shy. It's unashamed. Your love is proud to be seen with me because you don't give your heart in pieces. You don't hide yourself to tease us. Uncontrolled, uncontained, your love is a fire burning bright for me. It's not a spark. 
It's not just a flame. Your love is a light that all the world will see. That you don't give your heart in pieces. You don't hide yourself to tease us. No, you don't give your heart in pieces. And we're just laying there arms out, like literally like laying on the ground, like arms outstretched, like crying, holding hands and believing for each other. And I'm like, I feel like God is really with us. And I feel so seen, not only by these people who, what is the church? The church is just people. (laughs) I felt so much less alone and like, the thing about it is like, God didn't answer my prayers. Like I still am alone. Like there's, I didn't, you know, God didn't like magically answer my prayer, but like there's something just so powerful about like being with other people who believe in God and who have the faith to believe for you. And as my friend was holding me, she said, you know what, babe? It's okay if you're out of hope. It's okay if you feel like you need to give up for a minute because I have faith for you. She said, I believe for you. And that's what we're here for. I just feel like, what a picture of the church. What a picture of what the church should be. A safe place for anyone to come as they are. Like freaking messy, snot-nosed. Even like, I love being right, so I know a lot of the right answers. And I could just come and be like, listen, I know that like it says God is close and God is here, but I just don't feel that. And I feel like God is far. I feel like I'm all out of hope. I feel like I'm giving up. I feel like I can't have my act together. And to be met in that space and accepted and to be held and for my friends to say like, it's okay. Like, I'll believe with you. I'll believe for you. I'm like, that feels like good news. That feels like the gospel. That feels like a Jesus who's like, today you'll be with me in paradise. You don't have to have the right answers. You can doubt all you want. You can ruffle feathers. You can ask hard questions. You can color outside of the lines of what a lot of Christian culture in America is doing. And like, I see you and I love you and I will keep moving towards you. And so, man, that's where I'm at. I feel like I'm in that place right now, like after like crying so much today, where like I'm tired, like, like I'm gonna sleep all the night. But I don't know like what this means moving forward, you know? Like I don't plan on like not being a part of a church for the rest of my life. Like I do love church and I, I think there's so much wrong with it. And there's so much that I have like so many huge problems and I don't know how to find the type of church that I'm looking for. So maybe I be it right now. Maybe it's just me and a few friends every week and we're doing life together and we're asking each other hard questions. We're keeping each other accountable. We're believing for each other when when one another doesn't have hope to believe for ourselves. I feel like that's getting back to our first love. So that's where I'm at. I don't know where you're at with church. I would love to hear your heart in this conversation. If you're a part of the Patreon community, just comment on this video. If you're not a part of the Patreon community, come join us. It's really fun. It's $5 a month. It helps me pay my bills. (laughs) Patreon.com slash The Refined Collective. We also do like a free monthly coaching call where it's just community. So if you're feeling like you want to talk or share your heart or disagree with me, disagree away. Like you don't have to agree with me to sit at my table. You know, like, in fact, I love pushback. So that's all I have for you today.